Hey there, and thank you for tuning in to the Occlusal Table. I'm one of your hosts, Taylor Jackson. And it's your girl, Jasmine Clyde. And the one and only, Bradley Way. And today we're discussing various ways to maintain a healthy mindset and addressing the stigma surrounding mental health. Let's get started. All right, so we have a guest on our show today. Woo. All right, let's All give right it up now. for him. Let me go ahead and introduce him. <laughs> so um, we have Henry Hank L. Benton III, who was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio. Hank received his BA in psychology from Ashland University, where he attended on a football scholarship and received his MS in counseling psychology from Tennessee State University. He is currently a third year counseling psychology PhD student at Tennessee State University. Hank is also an author of two children's picture books titled Yes, Dad and ABCs and HBCUs. Hank's career goals include working as a sports psychologist for college athletes, having his own private practice, and writing multiple children's books that promote positive African-American representation. Let's go ahead and give it up for Hank. Woo! Come on, Hank. All right. That's a lot. That's great. Wow. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing good. Doing good. good. Feeling good, feeling good. Hey, what position did you play? I was a corner. Corner? Hey, okay. I, was, so, I, was, I was a little more in shape back in the day. So. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't okay. we all? Right. <laughs> what? That is cool. What? Oh, man. So, okay. So tell me, a cornerback, what inspired you? What What led to this career in psychology? It, so it was actually an accident, to be honest. Um, so... Growing up, I always really wanted to be a lawyer up to like 10th grade. But after like shadowing some lawyers or whatever, just really wanted a thing I really wanted to do anymore. So I was kind of stuck. And in my school growing up there, our senior year elective was a psychology elective, but you only took it because it was the EZA. Right? So like the teacher that it was like you watch Dr. Phil clips and like criminal minds and literally like you didn't do anything. And it filled up so quick. So you had to be a senior to take it. So I signed up for it. And after I signed up for it, the teacher took another job somewhere else. And then they hired an actual teacher to teach psychology. I tried to switch. Oh, hurt. Ooh, yikes. <laughs> hurt. <laughs> it didn't work. So uh, I was in there. And the first, again, really didn't pay attention. The first test, I got like a D or something like that. I was like, oh, no, this is a real class. There's no easy A. So then he said, okay, he gave us some extra credit opportunities. So like if you write a couple pages of just some type of phobias or anything uh, related to psychology, you get extra credit. So as I was looking into some of this, I'm like, oh, like this is actually really cool. So then I actually paid attention in class and I enjoyed it. So I knew I went to go that route and that's how it started. And then, um, so shout out to Mr. Robertson for, uh, for, that, for that course. And then I went to undergrad, stayed with the psychology route and then opened up and opened up my eyes to different uh, fields of psychology and what I wanted to do with that. So that's how I got started in that realm. Nice, nice. And just like what Jazz said before the show started, you know, it may have been an accident, but it was God's plan. Okay. (laughs) But with growing up um, in the black community or even in communities of color, um, there are stigmas surrounding mental health. So for our listeners, can you provide your definition of stigmas and how we can move forward past it as a generation? Yes. uh, From my my definition, the stigma is more so a stain on an area or a topic um, that hinders development and 
in something. So um, again, for stigma and mental health, a lot of black people don't go see a mental health therapist or don't have a therapist based on certain stigmas, um, whether it's uh, contextual factors where it's family, when you don't, you know, a lot of us heard what stays in this house, you know, uh, what happens in the house stays in this house. So like, that's why a lot of people go through trauma or abuse and don't say anything and swept on the rug because they're not allowed to say anything. That's just kind of how it was brought up. Um, so moving forward with that, just understanding um, what psychology is, what mental health is, educating ourselves, asking questions, um, and just taking care of our mental state and understanding that's a part of our physical state as well. So I think once we educate ourselves more and talk to other people, um, opening that dialogue and understanding that mental health is important, then we'll get out of that um, kind of that thing or start to erase the stigma of mental health. And I also think us millennials don't have that much of a difficult time admitting that we're having, you know, mental health problems or, mm -hmm. or just saying we're not doing okay. I think, I mm -hmm. mean, given the pandemic and everything, I think everyone buckled down and really thought like, dang, I'm, I don't think I'm okay. And that's mm -hmm. great. And I, you know, a lot of black folks and, you know, black folks usually are just deemed to not go seek mental counseling or anything. So um, that when you're saying the stigma is what stays in this house, is in this house that's it um so it's great that you mentioned that hank and you know outside of those stigmas um what are some other myths about mental health or seeing a therapist that you can debunk for us and our listeners uh there are a few prominent ones i think a lot of people say um the, the first the one i hear a lot is i'm not crazy i don't need to see a therapist i'm not crazy but we have to understand that mental health is a spectrum we're on a continuum so um and not even crazy, don't even like using that word. But um, sometimes we have really good days, sometimes we have really bad days, but sometimes we are dealing with certain issues. For example, like if you lose a loved one or um, experience some type of trauma, there's going to be some type of like depression. So to say, no, but you've never been depressed if you have lost a loved one, like that's kind of, again, type, you're minimizing your mental health at that point. But it's, so that's a normal um, response to those factors. It only becomes when it starts to uh, impact your lifestyle. That's when it's, you know, the uh, drill prominent needs, needs some work. So I think understanding that people need to understand, again, it's, it's on a spectrum. So you can have depression. You can be depressed. You can have anxiety. You can be anxious and not be quote unquote crazy. It's okay. I think that's, that's the main one I hear a lot is I don't need to see a therapist because I'm not crazy. That That's... You're right. Nobody, nobody's crazy. We're just all on the spectrum as well, and it swings based on external and internal factors. Um, I think another one that I hear too is um, mental health is expensive, and for a couple reasons. The main reason that people think mental health is expensive is because they don't look at it as important in their daily lifestyle. They look at it as like a luxury, right? They look at it as like. Um, clothes or vacations or things like like i can't afford it because it's not in my like extra expense budget i don't know if you look at it in the same way you look at uh checkups and like dentist visit it's the same thing it's, it's a part of your well-being that's one aspect and the other one a lot of um insure insurances pick up mental health codes so i know some insurances they'll have you paid no copay or some insurances it's a low copay just depending on what your insurance is and then also there are a lot of um, 
therapy services out there and private practices that do slide and scale, just like a lot of other health professionals. So if you don't make a lot of money, you can't afford it, they'll work with you. Just reaching out to seeing what they'll do. Because a lot of people say, like, they'll maybe see on the on the site, oh, I'm $200, $250 session. I can't afford that. Well, yeah, it, from outside looking in, understandable. But if you actually like reach out and see, okay, what are my options, then you might have $20 a session for versus um, the $250. Just, it just depends, though. So just uh, reaching out to um, a therapist that you feel like you're comfortable with and seeing what that looks like financially. And then uh, I say a last one, another big one, I think, is that people always say, I don't need a therapist because I have my friends and family. Now, granted, Social support is amazing. We need it. It helps us get through. But there are reasons why your friends and family can't be your therapist. Right? Somebody that's objective and impartial to what you're going through and having a safe space where you won't feel judged. Because if, if you're talking to your friends, you're going to give your opinion about something. Right? It's like, oh, I think you should do this or you need to do this. If, or if I was you, I would do X, Y, and Z. As a therapist, I don't tell you any of that. My job is to help you gain clarity to make sound decisions for yourself. And I think that's the issue. As friends, and again, good friends, that's what we do. We, we have back and forth. And I also might insert some issues of mine. Like, oh, yeah, I've been through that too because I've did. Again, it's not my job. I'm not here to be a sounding board for my issues to you. I can go see a therapist for that. All right. So, um, so yeah, again, fam, fans and fr- friends and family are important. Social support is very important. I preach that all the time, but also time and place for uh, what that looks like. So I think those are the those are major three myths um, that I hear a lot from either clients I have or just friends that are you know talking about the therapeutic space. Man, like, see, I, I see, Hank. I have to give you like credit because I understand that like you when you go through so many different patients from different types of like mindsets from people from high anxiety to schizophrenia. How do you like siphon and like filter that not to carry that like mental baggage when you come home? Because this just seems that from like what you're just saying that a lot of people don't really have that safe space to actually like come through. So as a therapist, you're dealing with different mindsets, you know, on the daily, not just one, two, you know, 15, to maybe you know over a hundred, depending. It's like, how do you do it? Yeah, I think for me, it's each therapist has their own way of finding their space of trying to like not to take that stuff home with you because it's definitely taxing. Um, a lot of people I see currently right now, um, you're, they're, you're dealing with a lot of going through uh, many states, especially with this whole COVID situation. Everybody is dealing with something. Um, so what I've been doing for me, I know I I have this locked in, locked out mentality like once i'm with this client or with these people writing notes or coming up with interventions to help the next client i'm all locked in you you'll get 110 percent of what i have but when that space is done it's done like i'm not thinking about interventions i'm not thinking about um clients like as much as i can now granted in crisis situations of course you know it's a client by client basis that they need to reach me fine but overall like i know like i'm going to put all that else in a box because if I, if I'm not locked out at some point, when I need to be locked in, I won't be right. When you really need to talk about something, I might be a zombie. I might like miss something that you said that I probably could have helped you with. So, but if you got my hundred percent attention, I can only give you that if I have times where I'm not paying attention about any of that at all. 
So then also with that whole locked in, locked out method, like are there other ways that you decompress from the day or any methods or um, helpful tips like in order for us to relax or any other students that can um, that have a very demanding type of schedule? What are your uh, favorite ways to decompress? Um, I would say I schedule in self-care. Opportunities just like a lot of people have schedules for work or lunches or family time or whatever, schedule in self-care. Because again, it's not self-care is not a luxury. It can be luxurious depending on what you want to do with it. But self-care can be something as far as taking a walk, deep breathing, meditation, mindfulness practices, which are under that umbrella. Um, I know for me personally, I love to run. Uh, I'm an avid runner. I enjoy running. Um, like to read. And then when I read, I don't read um, in my leisure time. I don't read academic or um, like psych books. I read, I'm like, I like fiction books. So, you know, like I just love um, getting away from reality for a second. So stuff like that. Um, again, hanging with friends and family for sure. And also I know a specific one for me, I enjoy speaking with other black professionals like y'all. So um, what, no matter where I'm at, whether it's dentist or doctors, or uh, lawyers or whatever it is. If you're a black professional, I enjoy talking to y'all because y'all not, we're all going through some of the same things. We're all in a small space, right? There are only, I don't know the numbers for the dentists and the you know, MDs or whatever, but I know for um, psychologists, there are only 4% of African-American psychology. So because it's not a lot of us in any of these spaces, we, we're dealing with some of the same microaggressions or like overt racism or things that maybe we only understand. So my self-care, I enjoy talking to other Black professionals about that. Because no knock on people who aren't Black professionals, they're just not in that space to go through that level. Right? So um, again, talking amongst like-minded people is very, uh, very important, a very good way to take care of yourself. So I think that those, are, those are how I take care of myself. Um, and then with self-care, where I like, I like the topic of self-care, talking self-care, because it's starting the conversation, but we also have to dig deeper with that because a lot of people go like, oh, yeah, I like yoga or I like, but OK, but you're doing self-care because of what, what, what do you need self-care for? And really, that's when you like hit the underlying aspect of because of this trauma experience I had or because of this job loss or, you know, just a lot of different things that we're not ready to really dive into yet because we don't want to hear that about ourselves or like be vulnerable enough to hear that about ourselves. Absolutely. We love that, Hank. And, you know, I've noticed um, this semester in particular when, um, you know, the day gets crazy for us in clinic and everything. And I realize I like silence at lunch sometimes. Sometimes I like to kick it with my friends at Cal, right? To kick it and eat lunch together and fellowship. But then sometimes I just want quiet. I sit in my car and I eat my lunch because when you have a, just a rough morning, it's like, okay, I need to center myself and get my life together for the afternoon. Because like you said, you guys have put everything in a box and move on to the next patient or client, right? Um, so there are definitely plenty of people out there that might be struggling in silence with their mental health. Um, so what tips do you have for those people and for them to take the necessary steps to face those challenges? Yeah, um, the first thing I'll say for anybody that is struggling with the mental health or um, wanting help with mental health, understanding that you can't do it by yourself. You wouldn't, um, if you were injured, you wouldn't try to fix yourself physically. You would go to a doctor. 
if you're if something's wrong with your teeth, you wouldn't try to fix it. You would go to a professional. Same thing, understanding that you need professional help for um, like mental challenges. Even if you might not even have any uh, a stronger or deep, like something seriously wrong with you mentally, but just something to bounce some ideas off of. So if you do, they can help people can help guide you through that. So I think that's the first step is understanding that don't try to fix your own mental health problems because you're not a professional. And I know like people, people think that mental health is just sitting on the couch and talking and getting, but it's a way, it's a, it's a lot more than that. It's a different type of therapy. So understanding that. Um, and then looking for therapists too. There are, a Psychology Today is a good resource to look at. You can find therapists there, uh, state, city, gender, age, race, you know, something that fits for you. And then understanding that you don't have to, if you find a therapist and you do an intake session, because the intake session, it'll just be like background information, family history, what brings you in, developmental history, things like that, to get give the therapist a good idea of what the problem is, what the circumstances are, and how they can help. But understanding if you do that intake, that you don't have to stick with that therapist. It's not like a blood binding contract. You can see that therapist and be like, I'm not really feeling this. I want to shop around. You can do that. And most professionals, they should be very open if you have, if that's your decision. Like, okay, it's fine. It's, it's a you, because this is for you. This is more so for you. This is not a record of like, oh, I've never lost a client or I've never lost intake. Like, no, like if some, some people just aren't a good fit. So understanding that you can shop around for other therapists. It's not a, once I pick this one, I'm locked in forever. Um, and then I think the last part in that mental health space, once you find your therapist and go, uh, get yourself to a level of being okay, okay to be vulnerable. Because it is definitely hard to open up to somebody that you don't know, a stranger, that says things are confidential. But again, you don't know this person. You you know, things is going on with your life. You probably never told some of your close family members or friends and you want to tell this individual. All right. So just being open to building rapport, um, putting that work in, because the more you put out of it, the more you get into it and they help guide you. But I just think those three things collectively will help you gain clarity mentally. And again, you might go into therapy for something and as you're talking, you discover this whole world about yourself that you had no idea was was going on. It's just like a weight off your shoulders. Like, um, your your mind, your thoughts, there is everything is just rampant in there together. And as you're talking, it flows out and it unspins. Right. And that's excellent, Hank. We really appreciate you for giving us these tips and giving um, a more well-rounded perspective on mental health, you know. So gotta make sure we go to the professionals, just like what you said. And that's what you're in school for. So um, we do appreciate you for being on the show. We'll go ahead and give it up for you. All right. So do you have any closing remarks? Yeah. Uh, when I appreciate y'all again for having me, shout out to y'all. Love what y'all doing. I definitely check in on the show. I was finally happy to be able to be a part of it. So that's one. Um, yeah, just understanding that the world we're living in now um, is not easy um, for anybody. Continue to develop and create and own your own space. Understanding what owning your own space looks like. Uh, creating boundaries, healthy communication. Um, you are the owner of your space. And we have to, before we can own our space, we have to create it. So understanding what that looks like. So anybody struggling with anything, 
um, make reevaluate what your space is and who is in and out of it to help guide you through this process. And do you take clients right now, Hank? I um, do take clients right now. I got a couple openings for clients right now, yes, I do. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And go ahead and shout out those books that you wrote, okay? Black author. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm and where can we get that? Shameless right, plug. go right ahead. Yep. <laughs> yes, yes. Shameless plug. Um, so my website and brand. So my brand is Henry's Corner. Um, it is promoting African American positivity within the Black community, just changing the narrative. So you can find all both of my books currently at henrysreadingcorner.com. The first one is called Yes Dad, and that's been out for almost. Almost a year, which is crazy to think it's been a year since I started it. And then the second one is ABCs and HBCUs. And that one um, is a is a book not only teaching children about ABCs, but also learning about prominent HBCUs and the, and the prominent Black individuals that went to them, from politicians to athletes to writers. So um, you can follow my Instagram page, Henry's Reading Corner, and you'll find all the information there as well as, well as um, upcoming events pictures, book events, and all those type of activities. And for sure, also, um, if you have any mental health questions, you can also hit me up on Instagram too and I can help um, you as needed. Uh, Stay Frosted and King Frosted. Bradley, you just, you know, you're just one of a kind. We love you so much. (laughs) And thank y'all for listening. And thank you, Hank, so much. This conversation is definitely needed um, and warranted for the times that we're living in, especially. And continue to stay safe and healthy, everybody. All right. And we're going to wrap things up and transition into Taylor's takeaways. And today I want to discuss destination addiction. And this term refers to us believing that our happiness is somewhere in the future. And I know I'm guilty of this myself when I say I'll be happy when or once I achieve this milestone, then my problems will go away. And that's exactly what destination addiction is. It's the belief that happiness is in the destination or can be found somewhere else rather than in the present. So after researching this topic, I came across an article titled How to Keep Destination Addiction from Stealing Your Joy by Aisha Bo on the Shine app. And she says, in fact, our destination addiction often begins earlier in life than we realize. So as children, we are conditioned to think about our future. So do you recall like how often we're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or we're told, make sure you get good grades so that you can get into a good college or find a good job. So our minds begin to shift towards this future orientation in which everything we do is in the service of a future goal. But Just imagine if as children, we were encouraged to just enjoy learning or we were taught to reflect on what made us happy during the day. Now, sometimes our destination addiction is simply because we're going through a tough time in the present, which is completely understandable. I definitely go through this in dental school, but just try to remember that even though we hope for a better tomorrow, it is equally beneficial to reflect on the positives and to be at peace with what we currently have today. Come on, Tay. That was great. (laughs) That was great. And realistic. (laughs) If you like what you hear, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Occlusal Table Pod for more updates on the show, and be sure to give us a shout out.
Want to ask us questions or give suggestions on topics that you'd like to hear? Then email us at theocclusaltablepodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear feedback from our listeners, so don't forget to leave a thumbs up, five stars, and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. Well, that's all we have for today. So until next time, this is The Occlusal Table.